Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Live from the 6th and Peabody studio and across the OutKick network, this is OutKick 360 with Jonathan Hutton, Chad Withrow, and Paul Kuharski. We are back. Final hour of this Thursday edition of OutKick 360 here on the OutKick network. I'm Chad Withrow. He is Paul Kuharski. And we are live from 6th and Peabody, downtown studios here in Nashville, Tennessee, with Old Smoky Moonshine and Yeehaw Beer. Got a great hour coming up for you. Dan Dockage will join us in 20 minutes. A lot to get to, including the kickoff of the USFL, inaugural season of USFL, this Saturday night, 6.30 Central Time, down in Birmingham. I'll, I'll be there with OutKick. We're going to have an OutKick the Tailgate show with myself and Jill Savage, Saturday, 3.30 to 5.30 Central Time. Tickets only $10 if you want to go. Cheapest ticket in sports, kids. Uh, under 12 are free, so take advantage of that opportunity. And, Paul, anytime there is a, a league like this with the USFL, um, you're going to be looking at guys who have an opportunity, an opportunity to show out. And that's not the sole purpose of this league, but that is going to be something because you've got the USFL really working in conjunction and partnering with the NFL in a number of ways. A guy to watch is Brian Scott, who is the quarterback for the Philadelphia Stars. Now, Brian Scott, his nickname is the Aaron Rodgers of Division Three. He put up unbelievable numbers at Occidental College in California in Division Three. He's got Bart Andrus as his head coach there in Philadelphia. Jeff Fisher has talked about this. Bart Andrus and Brian Scott together may be at a bit of an advantage because they've coached in spring leagues before. They know how to work with a small roster. They know how to work on short notice with not a lot of practices. Um, everything that I've seen about this guy with highlight films and everything else, he's still a young guy. He's bounced around. He had opportunities with uh, the Rams, the Chiefs, the Falcons, the Colts, cup of coffee with each. He's played in the CFL. He played in the spring league a year ago. Um, the Alliance? I, yeah, I, I am fascinated to watch him as a possible – I don't know if I'd call it a Kurt Warner story, but we saw it with what PJ Walker. We've seen it with guys before. I'm going to be keeping a close eye uh, on on Brian Scott to see if he can make it. Well, it starts like PJ Walker. You got to get yourself uh, do enough there to get yourself into an NFL camp where you're, you know, uh, got a shot to assuredly get yourself a backup job or or be a three. And look, I think threes in the NFL are going to disappear again, largely, um, if COVID doesn't resurface in any major way. Uh, COVID stuff's gone away. COVID regulations are done in the NFL for the time being. Um, we don't know what that means about practice squads, but I think the 16-man practice squad will uh, shrink back to something more like pre-COVID times. Um, if you're going to have a third quarterback, he's probably going to be on there. There'll probably be flexibility for how old he can be, how much experience he can have, and everything like that. But 
um, for a guy like Scott to break through, you need to start. You would hope he could get experience enough here that he could enter the league at a higher level than to be a practice squatter. Again, because those cups of coffee, he was probably that level. Can this league get him back into the NFL at higher than a cup of coffee status? Which P.J. Walker did. Yep. P.J. Walker was Carolina's backup quarterback last year, and he played. No, no doubt. Uh, so uh, that's one to watch. By the way, that is at 3 p.m. Central, 4 p.m. Eastern. You can watch Brian Scott and the Philadelphia Stars against the New Orleans Breakers on USA. On Sunday. On, uh, on Sunday, yes. So uh, that, that is one to watch. Paul, we got to get into this Clayton Kershaw story. Um, I don't know why this makes me so mad because I shouldn't really care. You know, it, it's their decision. And if Clayton Kershaw isn't angry about it, then why should I be angry about all of this? But Clayton Kershaw, for those that don't know the story, he had a perfect game going into the eighth inning through seven innings complete yesterday against the Twins. He gets pulled out of the game. 80 pitches, that was it. And this is a preordained plan by the Dodgers to try to limit his pitches throughout the season to keep him healthy for an entire season and a playoff run trying to win a World Series. I understand all of that. Clayton Kershaw, after the game, says, hey, that's an individual thing. We're all about winning here. Uh, And this is about winning in the long run, and they were going to go on to win the game anyways. But, Paul, I just don't buy that a perfect game, which would have been the 24th, that's it, in Major League Baseball history. That's a long history, a long time. That's a team accomplishment, too. You robbed Clayton Kershaw of it. You robbed the Dodgers of it. I, I don't see it as just a well, that was an individual honor and we're all about winning here. That's a big opportunity at any point to get robbed because you want to stick to some preordained pitch count or pitch plan with your guy. I think you got to be a little bit more flexible with it. Um, So go away from the pre-prescribed. Now, Jim Wyatt's the biggest Dodger fan I know. Uh, John Glennon, another Nashville reporter, good friend of mine, asked him on Twitter what he thought about it. He said too early to go for it because his season was cut short last year because of forearm and elbow issues that caused him to miss two months last year. If it, it was his first start this year, sure, a perfect game would have been cool, but 100, 110 pitches in his first outing, no thanks. I'm just wondering if there isn't, and I get that. I get that. But I'm wondering, so you prescribed him 80 pitches or seven innings or whatever you prescribed him. Can't you bring him out for the eighth and see – Like maybe he gets a three-pitch strikeout, a ground ball, and a flyout on eight pitches. And if he's he's at a perfect game at 88 pitches, can't you bring him out for the ninth and see what happens? Well, you're still leaving yourself the possibility you yank him. But what if he's very efficient? What if he happens to be very efficient? What if the first guy swings at the first pitch and grounds out and you're at 81 pitches and you're you're, uh, five outs away? Can't, can't you just go one batter at a time and see what happens? Well, you still let yourself have the possibility, or, you, or you're not trusting yourself to be disciplined enough. I'm, I'm not saying put him in a situation where he's going to throw 110, but I'm saying put him in a situation where he might throw 92. Well, I'm, I'm even angrier now that I know that he had over 100 pitches in his first start. No, 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 no. He didn't have over 100. He's saying 100 or 110 would have been too much in his first In outing. his first start. Well, rest him next week. I mean, that, that would be my thing, too. If you want to put him on a pitch count, then he could take a week off and recover. I, I just, 
there are so few opportunities to have a moment like that over the course of a career. And Clayton Kershaw's had plenty of great moments. He's a great pitcher. But to have a perfect game, it, I just I don't get it. I think that is a very, very rosy, optimistic you view say the same thing with your, of your team. Your ace in Atlanta? Absolutely. Absolutely. Who's had arm problems? I would be even angrier if it was Mike Soroka that got pulled after 80 pitches and he had a perfect game going. And he did have arm problems. Yeah. Well, he's had, he, had a, he tore his Achilles a year ago. But, he, I mean, look, every pitcher at some point is going to have arm problems, right? I mean, that's basically the way we're going now. It seems to happen all the time. I just don't think you run. And again, I'm mad about it, and Clayton Kershaw didn't seem mad at all about it. So no, I, you know I who he's mad for? Like I, I saw an interview with him where he was talking about his catcher. He he was disappointed that his catcher didn't get the chance. Now he's thrown a no hitter before, but not a perfect game. Is that correct? Yes, that is correct. Yeah, with Kershaw. Um, I mean, I, I'm disappointed for 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 you know baseball fans in general. You say a perfect game, no hitters have become. Relatively frequent, but perfect games are not. You know what else isn't frequent? I just don't get it. That I saw yesterday, and I want to get Dave Reed's thoughts on this, because back when he knew who, uh, more than two names on the Cubs, a guy uh, named Rizzo played for the Cubs. Rizzo, yesterday for the Yankees, bunted against an extreme shift. Toronto was playing ridiculous shift against Anthony Rizzo. Like four outfielders and infielder, uh, infield all on one side. And he bunted aggressively against the shift. A bunt with major spin on it, but a hard bunt towards third base that got to the bag and then kicked like it was already fair, but kicked to the foul side of third base. Terrible bunt, like by bunting standards, but a great play against the shift. This is what everybody should be doing against the shift. And here's a guy smart enough to do it. Did he face shifts like this it's in not, Chicago? It's not as easy as you think. But you got to try. Um, well, Freddie Freeman would try this a number of times, and he'd usually fail. When he was batting lefty, trying to get it down to the third I base. I think you got to think about it, though. You don't, it doesn't have to be a perfect bunt. No, this was a terrible. A, if it's a perf- perfect bunt, the catcher is going to have a chance to get to it. No, you got to push it you got to push it dirt. further. Yeah. And no, he. I don't, I don't remember him trying it, but I don't remember – Extreme shift. An extreme shift. They'd shifted against him a lot, but not like that This is an extreme shift as I've ever seen. Yeah. Well, and that's, look, I, I, thought, I, would, I thought we were doing away with that in Major League no, Baseball. No rule yet. Uh, they need Discussions to make Discussions of it for next I, year. I hate the shift. No, just keep doing this. Someone be smart enough to keep doing this, and it'll do away with itself. Right I, I agree, but someone's got to learn. And here's what I mean by this. I am the first one that will be the opponent of a pitcher when they don't have that problem with DH in both leagues, but someone who can't get a sack bunt down. Just get a bunt down. To advance a runner kills me. Well, I thought you killed were me big for years on watching learn the, how to hit the opposite killed, way. Killed me for years, and I watched the Braves and pitchers could not just get a bunt down to do this. It's one thing when you're taught, okay, this is a perfect bunt. You practice the perfect bunt. Everyone learns how to bunt, and you're practicing the perfect type of bunt. I will say it is a little bit more difficult when you're trying the imperfect bunt, which is hitting a ground ball well, while bunting to the left side. Ain't. It's the same thing. I mean, it's it's, I'm, I'm, it's, it's the same not thing as easy mentally as, it as hit it, hit a ground ball to the opposite I want, field. Now I want. I'm with Reed on this. I want more baseball players to be able to do this and to practice it, hit it where they and ain't. perfect it, and just to well, and it's bunting it where they're not right. Mm-hmm. You're bunting a it again. You're right. It's not. A, it's not a bunt. Area. You're almost. You can hit a line drive yeah. in a bunt form. You know that way, and you're going to be just get fun. the ball over there somehow. 
Also want to make I, – I loved it. I thought it was a fantastic play, and I, I like Rizzo a lot, and I like him even more after I want to make night. mention of my new favorite player in Major League Baseball, Stephen Kwan of the Cleveland Guardians. Tyler Castle, our resident Guardians fan, Cleveland fan. Um, this guy, in his rookie year, it took him 116 pitches before he swung and missed for the first time. <laughs> he does nothing but gets on base. When he gets on base, he steals bases. He is terrific. He is my – this is my type of baseball player right here. He told a story where he said, you know, why, why are you – you seem so afraid of striking out and everyone else doesn't have a problem with striking out now. They're swinging for the fences. And he said when he was young, he would cry after every strikeout and he just said, you know, I, I don't want to be sad and I don't want to make myself cry anymore, so I'm just not going to strike out. And he is basically the type of guy who, when he swings, he's making contact. That's a terrific He's putting the ball story. in play. Uh, and for those watching, you saw right there, the Cleveland Guardians put out a picture of a tombstone with the rest in peace, 116 pitches with the life of uh, him swinging and hitting the ball every single time. Um, I, I love this guy. That's that Not a jersey guy. Tremendous. Not a jersey guy, but I'm considering a Stephen Kwan Guardians jersey at some point. It's a terrific start, and I know his uh, on-base percentage was uh, through the roof, um, and he's getting attention for a team that, that uh, isn't getting a lot of attention, isn't expected to get a lot of attention this season. When we come back, Dan Dockage, Dan the man. He's got an opinion on everything. He's going to share most of them. With, I don't know where it's going. Who knows? It's going to be entertaining. It's not going to be boring. Dan Dockage next on Outkick 360. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady. Live only on Netflix. Welcome back, OutKick 360 across the OutKick network. I'm Chad Withrow. Paul Kuharski is here. Where are we? We're in Nashville, Tennessee, live at our 6th and Peabody Studios, downtown Nashville, with Old Smoky Moonshine and Yeehaw Beer. And we are just delighted to be joined by our weekly guest, by a teammate at OutKick, by a man who is not short. He's not short physically, and he's not short on opinions. He is Dan the Man Dockage, and he's with us right now. Dan, how are you, man? Dan the Man Dockage, and he's with us right now. Dan, how are you, man? Managing uh, his sound well. Yeah, we've got us. Oh, are you kidding me? Thanks for having me on. What's going on? What happened? Let, uh, let's try to we'll, we'll try to reconnect with him because we're getting feedback there from Dan. And what I remember. I remember my first Zoom, Dan. Uh, I think it's the. Uh, it's probably something with the Bluetooth. I would say, Paul. I remember hey. my first Bluetooth. There he is. Is he back with us now? Oh, you're killing me. You're killing me. There he is. There's Dan. Hang on, now, now, now we hear him. Now we hear him. <laughs> there, there's Dan. So, Dan, um, let's start with NBA. You know, I I didn't watch much regular season, but we get to the playoffs and. You know, the NBA had me on a woman trying to glue herself to the floor, followed by Miles Bridges chucking his mouthpiece into the stands. Uh, the on-court action and suspense hasn't been that great, but man, we're getting some events happening at these games. Can't beat that. All right. Well, I love, I love. 
We'll try to connect with Dan at, at another time. We'll 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 say goodbye to Dan for now. Do um, your do your docket imitation. This uh, I mean I mean look you got this guy Miles Bridges I just don't uh, that's the best I can do. I gotta really go I gotta really go into it. Uh, to to for for a long it stretch it was your best impersonation and you got to be a very good. Well, I feel like the uh, more that I, the more the more I listen to Dan, it's the more you gotta really it's everything's pained, right? You yeah. go into it and you gotta go pain deep down to a, a pain in the middle. I just don't understand Miles Bridges. Guys, listen, listen. I feel like I go too high almost with Dan. No, also, but it's good because you exaggerate it, and yeah. exaggerating it is is a good part of the caricature. It is definitely exaggerated. Our team here is going to try to reconnect with Dan. Uh, He's, we'll not going going with mo- He's not no, getting along with Michigan. He's not getting along with Michigan State people. No. Hey, uh, quick note also. Um, this came down a little bit earlier. Tennessee football will open the season for a second straight year on Thursday night. So Tennessee Ball State has moved from September 3rd to September 1st on a Thursday night on SEC Network. I love it. Yeah, and it's also it's it's a I almost got a little data. Yeah, I mean it's great. It's look Thursday nights, you get an open window. It's awesome. I love it. Love and who's their the week two? Pitt at Pitt and Pitt's opening Thursday night as well at Pitt week two. No Kenny Pickett, but Keaton Slovis transfers in from USC, uh, who's a big time prospect at quarterback. So Pitt opens on a Thursday night. Also, it just gives you a, a window of more people to watch. And Tennessee fans are going to watch whenever, but. Um, it gives you a window where it's more of a national audience. It's on SEC Network Thursday night. I love it, Paul. If I'm a fan of the team, like I am with Tennessee as a grad, I like it because then my Saturday is clear to watch everything on the opening Saturday of yes. college football season and not worry about that three, three-and-a-half-hour window where I'm watching my team play. So that first weekend of college football is one of my favorite sports days of the year, sports weekends of the year. I get to watch all that and get, get my game out of the way on Thursday night, uh, uh, yeah, which is nice. I, I mean, I like it. You never know. Uh, for me, I never know what's going on on a Saturday. You, you get NFL practices or uh, conceivably uh, uh, NFL preseason stuff or kid playing or whatever. Thursday night, you can lock in and you know that there's nothing else going on. Plus, for, for them, they get seen more nationally. It, it's good for um, – you know, showing off the program's direction and recruiting and, and all of that. So no complaints there. Another scheduling note, Tiger Woods has registered to play in the U.S. Open in June. Um, and he said he was definitely playing the British Open, but he didn't make any other commitments. PGA is in May, I think, and open in June. So we're getting three of the four majors out of him at the very least. We don't know about the PA. So you PGA said June still. is U.S. Open, yeah, right? So he's also going to play in a pro-am the week leading up to the British Open. So now we have three tournaments that he's yes. for sure playing U.S. In. Open is June 16th to 19th in Brookline, Massachusetts. So the PGA is Southern Hills in Tulsa, Oklahoma next month. That's the one we're unsure about. Paul, I believe he's going to play in the majors. I know he hasn't announced it yet. I'm sure he's waiting to see what happens with his, with his leg in recovery after the Masters, but I'd be surprised if he's also not in the PGA Championship, which is coming up in May uh, in Southern Hills, which is in, in Tulsa, Oklahoma. The least prestigious of, uh, of the four. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I would think he'd be there as well. It's May 19th to 22nd, so uh, only a month away. I, w- I would imagine it is a, a timing, recovery, health 
thing and he's trying to you know get built up as as much as he can as fast as he can but i i, I think odds would be uh in favor of of him showing up there and how great would it be if he plays in all four majors uh this year i think we would have bet strongly against that possibility uh certainly we would have bet strongly against him being at the masters and uh and we got four rounds out of him so that was terrific the more tiger golf the better yeah, and I'd, look, I'm, I'm all for it. I'm rooting for him to play in as many tournaments as possible. Let's get back in the NFL draft a bit. We, we had the discussion earlier, Paul, about the uncertainty around the top half of the first round. And we were really looking at, at Dane Brugler, regular guest of our show, writes for The Athletic. He's got this draft guide called The Beast, which is terrific and full of detail. He's got his mock draft out. So we were going by Dane Brugler's mock draft. Uh, one pick that I want to ask you about specifically, um, we've talked so much about quarterbacks or the lack thereof, of first-round caliber quarterbacks. Desmond Ritter from Cincinnati going 20th overall to Pittsburgh. We haven't spent a ton of time talking about Pittsburgh and what they're going to do at quarterback. They bring in, you know, they've got Trubisky, um, a possibility to start. But if they draft quarterback, you know, we, we haven't spent a lot of time thinking about the possibility of them drafting someone in the first round. Desmond Ritter, Paul, seems to be a name that's been climbing some boards. He's been mentioned as a possibility for the Titans, even, if they were to go quarterback at some point. I think he's a big wild card in that first round or wherever he ends up going. Could Pittsburgh be an option? And that's what Dane Brugler has at 20th overall. Well, I mean, I think Pittsburgh certainly uh, – Kevin Colbert, Colbert is uh, retiring after this draft. He said he wants to, you know, leave them in good shape at quarterback as his legacy. Um, you know, I don't know that he could feel like he's doing that if he's leaving them with Mitch Trubisky. And, and so you would think that he's leaving them with a drafted quarterback – and I could see him making the case that he's doing so with Pickett. I could see him making the case that he's doing so with Willis. Look, I understand the case for Desmond Ritter, but he's got some accuracy issues. And Josh Allen has overcome accuracy issues, but Josh Allen is very much the exception. You are... He's really the one guy we can point to that you can say... Fixed and it. I was shocked by it. I, I didn't think it was going to work out for that very reason, but that transformed from inaccurate to accurate. Another guy locally here in Nashville, Jake Locker, couldn't do that, right? No. He had the accuracy issues, and it persisted throughout his career. That's normally the case. Guys don't get accurate when they get to the NFL unless you're Josh Allen. So Blake Bettingfield, the former Titans scout, he scouted with the Titans for 19 years. Uh, he's been a guest on, on this show, and he writes for my site. Um, and he, does, he just did a scouting report on quarterbacks in this draft who he also doesn't love. He actually likes Matt Corral the best. But from a Titans perspective, he was saying, you know, Matt Corral to him at his best would probably be about like Ryan Tannehill is. You know, so from a Titans perspective, would you take Matt Corral when what you're going to get out of Matt Corral would be what the guy you're trying to replace is? And so somebody asked me to ask him, you know, did he consider uh, Allen and Mahomes and Watson franchise quarterbacks coming out? And he said, Mahomes and Watson, yes, but Allen, no, because of that accuracy thing. 
And I, I, th- I think, me talking now, I, I just, like you're saying, Alan is, like, who else came out inaccurate and got accurate? It's a very rare thing. Alan, I don't think you can look at Alan and say, well, Alan did it, so we can do it with the next guy. By this time, I think the general consensus in the league is, by the time you're coming out of college, you throw the way you throw. We can make some minor adjustments, but we're not going to reform your throwing motion much. So uh, scouts have told me time and time again when I've had this conversation, you're drafting that throwing motion to a large degree. When, when the Jaguars drafted Blake Bortles, they weren't going to be able to reform that big, weird motion that he had. They were accepting it. You're accepting what Desmond Ritter is. You can try to improve it, but you better be able to come to terms with it. And he's, he's kind of a hot and cold inaccurate guy. He's not consistently inaccurate. He's got stretches where he connects well, but he's also got stretches where he doesn't connect well. So that's why I don't see it with Desmond Ritter. For, for the Steelers, for the Titans who are well connected with him because of Luke Fickle's good, you know, one of them was best man at the other's wedding, uh, I think Vrabel at Fickle's wedding, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, you know, is he intriguing? Yes. But ultimately, I think it's always going to come back to that. I think Pittsburgh, if they want one of the top quarterbacks in this draft, they're going to have to get one of the top two, and it's probably going to take a trade up to get it. So, all possibilities or, on the board. Or maybe Corral's third. Yeah. All possibilities on the board for the draft, obviously, right now. But I do like when we can go through process of elimination of what, what teams aren't seeking in that first round. Paul, you wrote something on your site about a position to possibly eliminate from the Titans list in the first round. Um, I think the Titans are an intriguing spot for the entirety of the draft, where they are as a franchise, the different directions they go. There are clear needs on the roster, but you could also argue for best available. Uh, for the Titans in that spot, they don't but have a lot of. You're saying holes. linebackers a spot not to watch in the first round. Yeah, a lot of people are mocking them. Um, the the Utah linebacker whose name now is going to escape me. Uh, it'll take me a second. We just talked about him in the first with, round. We just it's talked with him, Devin uh, <laughs> Lloyd. Devin, Devin Lloyd. Lloyd. Yes, thank he was you. a very good player. But here here are two things about uh, an inside linebacker. A couple things. First off. Inside linebacker doesn't have huge value. It's not a, it's not a huge value position. It's kind of like uh, running back on offense. It's just not a real need to draft inside linebackers high unless there's just an out-of-the-park, you know, Bobby Wagner type. And I don't think Lloyd is one of those, uh, one of those guys or uh, the Georgia guy that you mentioned, um, Dean, right? Um, and And – the Titans drafted one a couple years ago, Rashawn Evans, and he didn't blossom at all for them. He, he's turned into a one-year contract guy in Atlanta after they didn't execute, exercise his fifth-year option. Didn't have a great feel for space. Was a very good short yardage guy. But, I mean, if you're going to have a first-round pick who has a specialty, uh, that's pretty narrow. <laughs> he didn't yeah. turn out to be a very good player. Um, and... Uh, you know, the Titans have three big positions of need. Receiver, offensive line. Tight end. Tight end. There's no first-round tight end. So they could get squeezed in the first round. Those receivers might come pouring off before, just before them. I don't think they like little uh, – they don't like little receivers, history tells us. They haven't drafted 
any little receiver high. Taewon Taylor was a little receiver, didn't pan out at all. Adam Humphreys was one that they signed, and it didn't pan out. They like big guys in the mold of A.J. Brown. Ryan Tannehill has talked about liking big targets. Mike Vrabel has said those big guys have a bigger catching radius. You can be off target. Well, let's talk about one of those can, big guys. He can pull balls in. Because Dane Brugler has Traylon Burks from Arkansas going 25th, one spot before the Titans to the Bills. No. That's that, a guy I would love if, if, if I'm the Titans to be there at 26. I think he fits their mold. He probably blocks, uh, if I'm not mistaken, blocks pretty well. They love talking about receivers blocking. He's got some A.J. Brown to him and that he just makes plays happen and he's got the Wins big, 50, strong 50 hands. Balls. He goes and gets it. I, I love him. And that's their mold. You know, Robert Woods... A.J. Brown and Burks would would be a heck of a trio, you would think. A lot of people would say, hey, you're going to have three wide receivers. They should be three different guys, right? You should have a a big, lanky guy, a big physical guy, and then a smaller, shiftier guy. And that would be, you know, an ideal receiving core. I don't think the Titans look at it that way. They're not looking for an A, B, and a C. They're looking for an A, A, and an A. It it feels like. And their roster is filled with guys who all generally – have the same field. Nick Westbrook-Akina is the guy that they've developed, but he's got what? He, he, he would lean the A.J. Brown direction. He's, he's not a big as guy. big and not as thick, but he's in that mold. Jahan Dotson is a guy that might be available in their range, but he's a littler guy, and I don't expect him to go that direction. If they go that direction, it will be a big departure for them, and I don't see them. I, I think you're safer betting on them to do what they've done as opposed to betting on them to make a big change in the direction that they go. Let's stay in the Titans division in the AFC South. Two teams were laughingstocks for different reasons a year ago in the division, Jacksonville and Houston. Paul, they both appear to have righted the ship to different extents right now. Who is closer to relevance, Jacksonville or Houston, when you look at their situation? Both teams, by the way, in great draft shape this year. One's got the number one pick, Jacksonville. The other one's got the number three pick. But they're both in a good spot to continue to build with young talent. I'm tempted to say Jacksonville uh, because I think Trevor Lawrence is is the same quarterback he was when they drafted him. You know about Trevor Lawrence, though? We really don't know. Anything. At all. What we know is that he was a no-brainer coming out of college, but he was bad last year, but... It's easy to chalk that up as, well, it's because of Urban Meyer. Yeah, it's just a wash. It's all on Urban Meyer because he had no chance because of him. But if it were any normal coaching situation, we'd have some serious questions about Trevor Lawrence coming yeah, off that he's season. He's getting a free serious pass. Serious questions. He's getting a free pass. Now he's with a better coach who's had quarterback success in Doug Peterson. So I, th- I think the expectations go up for Trevor Lawrence. You expect to see uh, a growth curve this year. They got him Christian Kirk, who's not a fantastic receiver. He's a good receiver. He got fantastic receiver money. They need to continue to add weapons because uh, Chark is gone. Um, their other best receiver uh, is, is gone. They don't have weapons there, and they need to build some weapons for him. They do have uh, you know, a reasonably good offensive line. They could still draft an offensive lineman with that number one pick. If they don't and they draft Hutchinson, then they should have a really pretty good pass rush with bookend guys that can get them the ball back. They spent a ton of money. I don't know that that free agent class, they overpaid a lot of guys. 
Um, you'd rather them be active that way than not be active that way when they've got all that salary cap money? Well, I mean, you're better with Christian Kirk than without, right. given their situation, but it does lend itself to laughing stock material when you pay that much money for Christian Kirk. It kind of goes along well, with who the were whole you status of Jacksonville. For Christian Kirk? Yeah, I mean, look, again, better to have him than not, but I see that contract and think, man, this is just Jacksonville being Jacksonville again. And Even it, if they are lends itself with to a conversation we need to have about these teams that, that make these uh, sign people to these contracts or make these trades where there just is no apparent uh, opponent. The, the Wentz trade, who was Washington bidding against that it had to give up two twos? The Christian Kirk contract, I don't know. I didn't hear of anything that drove the price to that level. I understand that they really wanted him. But really, wanting him doesn't dictate the price. The competition dictates the price. And teams get over-anxious and shoot themselves in the foot by overpaying for commodities that they really want instead of overpaying for commodities that are actually costly because other people want them. Um, look, I think Davis Mills is probably better than we give him credit for because he was operating in really bad circumstances also last year. But... And Lovey Smith is, you know, he is Lovey Smith. More upside with Peterson. At least he's been Smith. around and knows how to do the job. Yeah, but uh, the puppet that's master. Really the, that's really the uh, the sales pitch for Lovey Smith. Well, he's done it before. Is it a puppet master pulling strings? Even if he's not in his headset, you know, how much of that organization? I'm I'm a lot more suspicious of the way Houston's operating than I am of the way Jacksonville's. Well, operating. let's go with this Brugler mock at the Athletic. Houston, two first round picks, Aquanu the offensive tackle from NC State, third overall. Jermaine Johnson, 13. And then with a 37th pick, George Pickens, a big, fast wide receiver from Georgia. Who was hurt at Georgia, right? They look a lot better. That's a pretty good three-pack of yep. players in the first 37 picks. Jacksonville, first pick overall, first pick of round number two. How about Aiden Hutchinson and N'Kobe Dean from Georgia, who I said earlier, he's the most productive, best football player on an all-time great Georgia defense. That's a nice two-pack. That'll bolster. That'll bolster Again, we don't know that's going to happen, right. but that, those are the types of players you can get in those spots. So I'm just curious how much that improves. Not Houston and Jacksonville for the long run. Obviously, high picks are eventually going to help, but right now to be relevant this season. I it still feels th like they're both a little ways off, but who knows? We see teams every year that go from nothing to a lot in one season time. Dean should be a plug-and-play player. Cincinnati being that team the, last year. Dean should be a plug-and-play player. I don't know about Pickett because uh, did Pickett play a lot last year? Pickett's, Pickett's coming off uh, ACL, if I'm not mistaken. Pickens. Pickens. Yeah, yeah. yeah no, he so, yeah, got, sorry, he, he got hurt in the season. Yeah, yeah. He, he's had some injuries. So there's all, the, all these receivers coming in with, with knee issues. Um, you know, uh, uh, Mechie's got a knee. Um uh, Williams has a knee. Now, he's got a knee. A lot of people are going to be waiting on people, and a receiver coming in, while it's easier and easier, it seems to make an impact right away. Um, missing camp and being slow, and missing OTAs and stuff as, you, as you're rehabbing that ACL instead of being with your team on the field really can cost you and cost your ability to impact. And now... You're, you're looking not at a veteran quarterback waiting at him, but at a quarterback like Mills, who's only in his second year, who needs time with a guy like that in order to, to build things. Look, I think Houston and Jacksonville are still not very good teams this year. If you're the Texans, 
and the uh, if you're the Titans and the Colts, I think losing to one of those two teams could be the difference in winning and losing the division. We know the Colts are pretty good at losing to the Jaguars. Well, another team that's really good at losing is Detroit. We all know that. They're very interesting to me, Paul, because I, I just don't buy that they're not going to take quarterback early. I, I'm not fully bought in on the idea. No one's, got, no one's mocked them with a quarterback that I've seen. Well, it's starting to be some talk about Willis. It's going to be too enticing for a team that badly needs to take a shot on a young franchise quarterback to not take someone, I feel like. But they may also, you know, they may be, they may be very understanding as to where they are right now exactly. to where and know Campbell next knows. Next year they're going to be in position to get one of the good Exactly, ones. and Dan Campbell knows I'm safe. You know, we're trying to build a culture here. No amount of losses will get me fired. Let's but get also, the people who will help just, Stroud or Young Just next like year. I'm skeptical that a team's going to be patient and not draft a quarterback when they need one, when they're drafting high, I'm skeptical that Dan Campbell and his coaching staff go into it thinking, oh, yeah, we're totally safe no matter how much we lose this year, that we're going to have a job next year. Because NFL coaches and coaches in general have a hard time believing that. What happens if you draft Malik Willis second? You have the year you and I are expecting for Detroit. You're top three next year, top two next year. And Malik Willis doesn't play this year because he's not ready to play this year. You're sitting him behind Jared Goff anyway. What the hell do you do next year? I know Hutton has always argued, you know, these guys, they have to go get a quarterback or they get fired, right? you got to get a quarterback or you get fired. I think of the Detroit situation as the opposite. They have to sell the quarterback is on its way. If they draft a quarterback to second to ownership. and that quarterback isn't really good right out of the gate, I'm not saying it's going to make them a playoff team, but I'm saying good enough to show ownership that, okay, this guy's the franchise. We're heading the right direction. Anything other than that, that could be sitting for half the season or the whole season because they're not ready. That could be playing and looking like Trevor Lawrence did a year ago in Jacksonville. That could be anything but showing a lot of promise that this is the guy. I think that's what gets the coaching staff fired after two years. I think you go to ownership and you say Malik Willis on opening day 2023 is behind Bryce Young and behind Stroud. And look, I hope we're not in position to draft those guys, but we could trade up to go get them or whatever. But it, it doesn't – we can't force it. We can't or, force or it. Or you just keep team. saying we'll keep drafting high, build a foundation, and who's to say we can't do the reverse Matthew Stafford and go get someone from someone else. Go get a veteran guy, you know, to be the quarterback of the future. I just quarterback say, movement now is happening more often to where – I mean, who's to say a year from now they can't get Kyler Murray? I'm just throwing him out as an example, but it doesn't have to be a rookie quarterback in the draft, even yeah. though we think they're going to be drafting high and that's the way they should but go. But two things work against them. You can't foresee as many good veterans moving next year after all this movement. And who's, who's coming to Detroit? You know, a couple guys don't have control, like Murray, but Derek Carr just got control. Um, you know, go get Baker Mayfield. You know, is he your long-term, long-term answer? No, he's more bridgy. I, I just uh, – they it's shouldn't a have traded for Jared Goff in the first It's a place. tough spot for Detroit, but it's a spot with options. So it's going to be fun to watch what they do uh, with those options. So someone got a heavy fine for – and I'm, I'm quoting this directly. 
Excessive profanity. And it wasn't our very own Jacob Swanson. We'll explain when we come back. A big hefty fine for excessive profanity in sports. That's coming up next. This is Outkick 360. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. So Patrick Beverly of the Minnesota Timberwolves was fined $30,000 by the NBA for egregious use of profanity. This was done in post-game comments to news media and on his own social media. Beverly, who played for the Clippers for four years, was traded in the offseason to Memphis, ends up with Minnesota, plays in the play-in game at home with Minnesota against the Clippers, And um, he went crazy after the game. He had a huge game. Patrick Beverly is a guy who is known as a pest, who's not afraid to say things, to get under your skin and talk trash. Uh, But he repeatedly was yelling, take their ass home to his old team. Which isn't said Long flight to L.A., take it home. And then he told uh, media afterward that it's deeper than that for me. I gave my blood, sweat, and tears to that organization. And everyone knows the story. Blood, sweat, and tears. They just wrote me off. They said he's injury prone. He's old. This, that, this, that. To be able to come here and play them in a play-in and beat their ass, no better feeling. No better feeling. Well, I hope he used more than ass he did. on and two occasions. It's an Instagram post fun. that has since been deleted. He uh, dropped several F-bombs okay. in that Instagram post. Carl Anthony Towns did not do much in that game, who usually leads the way for them. And Patrick Beverly uh, was one of the guys that, that went a long way. They, they played very well in an upset. He had very big reason to be excited. Well, he called $30,000 worth of uh, That's a lot. a big is, fine. Called them the weak-ass Clippers afterward. Told I can't them, ask. Told them to get, to get the F out of here. Uh, on his way off the court. Uh, a lot of Fs is going to get you in trouble. Yeah. and uh, $30,000? Like, is he a pr- previous offenses? He said, I told you we were going to the playoffs. Most of you all, you looked at me like I was crazy when I first said that. I bleeping told y'all is what Beverly What's his apology going to be media. like compared to... Uh, I don't know that he'll apologize. I don't think that's in him to apologize for this. And quite frankly, he shouldn't apologize. He's being honest. This well, is how he feels. If he's appealing the fine, he well, he's not going to. I don't think he's going to appeal the fine. I think he'll pay it and uh, and move on. Pay the thirty thousand dollars. Move on to the playoffs. Here's what I want now. I want the Clippers and the T Wolves to meet again. But the only Highly way that's unlikely. happening because one's the seven seed, Minnesota. The other will be the eight seed if, if they, they beat win. New Orleans. And that is uh, that's the Clippers. They'd have to meet in the Western Conference Finals, which is highly unlikely. But I'm here for it. I love bad blood. And I'd love to see these two teams meet again. <laughs> you, say, what, you said, I love bad, and I thought you could say boys. No, that too. Bad boys. Who he's, doesn't he, love a bad boy? He's a bad boy. He is a bad boy. Patrick Beverly. Patrick, you've been a very, very <laughs> bad boy. That's what... Uh, Chad loves bad boys. That's what Commissioner Silver Chad told him. Chad loves boy bands. I think the actual letter to him said, Patrick, you've been a very, very bad, bad boy. boy. And because of that, we're going to fine you $30,000. Here are some $1. tickets to see some boy for, bands. For egregious use be, of, uh, of profanity. Some boy bands who will be playing in our arena soon. 
Here's Got a text tickets. from a high school buddy of mine that uh, alerted me that in October, Backstreet Boys will be at the arena. You don't need to see that. <laughs> Coming back. I've already seen I saw I know, it last year. you've seen it. So you don't need to I see mean, it I'll again. I'll go back. It's the same I don't know that they have any new material. Show. I think it's the same setup, maybe. Yeah. I'm sure it's a different show. No. But the same songs. Right? I, I doubt they've changed the show. Why bother? Suckers will just keep coming. I'll go. Uh, Russell on uh, the YouTube chat says, Will Smith is a bad boy. Yeah. He is. They in like, the movie, too. Like that too. But he's not allowed to make Bad, boy, <laughs> bad Boys 4 because of slapping Chris Rock, which bums me was, out. I, now, I don't know any of the Bad Boy films, but can you rate them and their progressive Have you not seen a single Bad Boy film? I've not seen a single Bad Boy well, like I'm anything, not into the, Bad Boys like, like most you. things, the original's the best. Okay. Bad Boys, the original. How was good. two? It's Michael Bay, I think, right? Michael Bay's really good. How was two? Good action. Bad Boys Two is pretty good. Uh, there's a really over the top cartel loves lord bad movies. in it. That's uh, just like the crazy, uh, you know, th- exactly what you would think in like a late '90s, early aughts bad guy. Is will it you, Bad will Boys Two? Concede too? that That's three good. started to slip away. Well, three is the one that it was like straight to you know streaming. I feel like. I don't know if it went to the theaters. And your expectations for four? Well, it's not going to happen. But if so, it happened, um, probably better than three, you'd but not as good as two and one. I'd see it. I'd see it. You'd I'd, see it I'd in the theater on opening night. I, I would be there. Ambulance is an action movie I hear I need to see. It's Michael Bay that's in theaters right now that's supposedly Michael very Bay's good. Michael Bay's on fire. This show, we try to make it very good. Sometimes we succeed, sometimes we don't. Paul, what's your message? <laughs> you be the judge. Don't block the box. Please, please, lock your lock.